2: Welcome to Tuesday's Edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. 973 667 1960 is the telephone number. You could also follow and interact with the two of us on Twitter. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M E D O W. He is at Giants W F A N. You could find us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat as well. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank. It's on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. He is Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you. we got plenty to tackle over these next 60 minutes. We'll get into the latest Giants free agency moves, and then later on in the program, we will continue our preview of the 2021 NFL Draft. Today's focus will be on the Class For the Clemson Tigers so stay tuned for that but Paul let's start with the biggest news of the day for the Giants and that is yesterday they announced that they have added a Dory Jackson to the mix veteran corner who was a former first round pick of the Tennessee Titans this is a player that has dealt with some injuries over the last few years he was only limited to three games last season because of a knee issue but this is somebody who has versatility and, to me, fits right into what Patrick Graham is building in the secondary, which is guys that could be moved in and out of various spots. You have flexibility. You don't have to lock a guy into one position. And here is somebody also that is out to prove that he could bounce back after dealing with an injury last season.
1: Well, I think when you look at him, Lance, uh, the tape that I saw, he was very sticky. He was very fast tremendously pliable and athletic i call him a gumby player because he can literally be bent into all kinds of different shapes uh very impressive player um what i thought uh, would really kind of stuck out with me i watched the chiefs titans game from 2019 which was his last somewhat full season he played in 11 games that year It was his third NFL season, your breakout season, if you will, as a pro. We always talk about that. Gave up one touchdown on 42 targets, 26 completes for 301 yards. But I watched the Titans game against the Chiefs, and very often in that game they had him one-on-one against Tyreek Hill. Now what does that tell you about how the staff felt about this player, if they were willing to put him against Tyreek Hill for most of the afternoon. To me, that is incredibly significant. Mike Vrabel must have had tremendous respect for him. Now, aside from going through the stats, I just watched the matchup. And for most of the game, he was pretty damn close to Hill, even on the routes that were downfield. I won't say he was in his shirt. I don't think anybody can be in Tyreek Hill's shirt. But he was right there. Broke up a number of pass plays, certainly gave up some catches as well. But to to think that Vrabel would have put him in man coverage for much of that afternoon against Hill, and then to watch him hold up and certainly fight Hill to a draw made me feel pretty darn good about this guy's skill set.
2: Well, I also think it says a lot about Dean Pease, who was the defensive coordinator, too, under Mike Vrabel, and what he saw in Adoree Jackson. They also dealt with a lot of injuries overall as a unit. Let's not forget that in 2019, which was the year, of course, that they made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. So they were mixing and matching personnel pretty much that entire season. And even Adoree himself missed some time that year as well. But he also has familiarity with Logan Ryan, speaking of Tennessee. And it's no surprise that... Logan Ryan was campaigning heavily for the Giants to add him to the mix because familiarity is a big positive, especially when we're entering an offseason where we really don't know how much on-field work there's actually going to be. So here you have a player walking into a circumstance where he will notice somebody who he's had reps opposite throughout the course of his career. Because remember, Logan Ryan was playing corner when they were together Mm -hmm. in Tennessee before he made the transition to safety. And, you know, once again, here if you're Patrick Grandpaul, Regardless of a Dory Jackson skill set, this to me is just another player that he can experiment with depending on matchups on a weekly basis. So if he wants to use him one week on the inside, he could do that. If he wants to move him to the outside, McKinney is somebody that could be moved around. Darnay Holmes. The theme that I'm seeing based on who they drafted last year and who they brought in in free agency starting with Logan Ryan at the tail end of training camp last year is, once again, players that are not locked into a specific role but are comfortable being moved around. And I think Jackson, for the most part, fits that profile. Coming from a defense where, like I said, because of injuries over the last few years, Tennessee was forced to move guys around. They didn't have the luxury to just stick with the same Mm -hmm. four or five guys all season long.
1: Lance, he has slot capability. Yeah. He has played snaps in the slot in the NFL before, which means if you are Patrick Graham, as the defensive coordinator, you don't have to worry when you've got guys like Bradbury and McKinney and Ryan. You've got these guys out there, and you can disguise as much as you want because everybody who's going up against this secondary understands they can certainly play zone if they want to. They can play man if they want to. They can play combination if they want to. They can even shadow and don't even have to play left and right They could shadow if they want to and say, all right, so you got your guy who's usually on the boundary, but now you're going to sneak him into the slot? No problem. Our guys can adjust to that too. This is is, uh, some kind of secondary that the Giants have been able to put together. I never thought that they would be able to go out and get a veteran corner of this quality during the offseason haul. I did think they might add one, but of this level? very very surprising remember he was a first round pick coming out of usc this yep. is not somebody lance who kind of came out of the shadows this is a this is a kid from the very get go has always had a high ceiling in the pro game do you guys want his slot and
3: outside corner snap totals i have them if you want them you you, you can sure, let you us can know what up. those numbers yeah. are john yes uh, in his career four year career in the nfl he has played 2300 snaps at wide corner and only 266 inside. So his experience is much more focused outside. No doubt. But at 5'11", 185, and his movement skills, to Paul's point, he does have that ability if they want to use him there. But I would expect... Given the need for an outside cornerback, I think we're going to see him across from Bradbury more often than not.
1: I'm sure he will. I'm sure. There's no doubt about that. But, again, if somebody wants to take their star boundary guy and then throw him in the slot a little bit to throw a mixture into the Giants' uh, psyche, they could certainly shadow him sure. and and tell and tell him, hey, you know what? It's, you go right there. Follow him. Go inside if you want to. He's got the quicks. That's the point. His athleticism and his Gumby-like skills allow him to play anywhere.
2: Well, and if you're smart, if you're an offensive coordinator, you're going to want to maybe test the Giants secondary and put guys in positions where maybe they haven't had as many reps. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the teams, specifically within the division, want to give the Giants different looks, especially when you look at matchup one versus matchup two. The more that guys can do, I think the more valuable they are in a roster, especially within a defense run by Patrick Graham. And I don't think it's a coincidence, by the way, that they continue to bring in players who they may not have even splits outside inside corner safety, but they at least have a taste of it at some level, at some particular spot within their career. You also brought up the 2017 draft. They now have four 2017 first round picks on the roster. Paul, they brought in John Ross, Adoree Jackson this year and Evan Ingram and Jabril Peppers were already on the roster. So you got four guys in the top 25 picks from 2017. And what I also think that's connected to is I don't think they're necessarily targeting the 2017 draft class, but what you're seeing is you're seeing the Giants bring in a number of players who have expiring rookie contracts, which means they were polished by their previous teams. They had their highs and their lows, and the Giants look at these players as maybe needing something to prove on one end, trying to bounce back from injury. And also showing enough flash to now put them in a different environment that maybe they could take their game to new heights. That I also see as a common theme. Because John Ross and Adoree Jackson, the common element in both is the fact that they've battled some injuries in recent history. And their former teams wanted to move on from them, clearly. So now it's an opportunity to redefine themselves and also prove that they're durable, which I think is going to tell a lot specifically about those two players, because they're only going to be as valuable to the Giants, assuming they could stay on the field game in and game out.
1: Well, a couple other things to add to your remark, Lance. Number one is that we're talking about a collection of young veterans by definition. When you say guys who are going into their second contract, that means they've got the experience, but they've also got youth and much more tread left on their tires than perhaps some older players might. And I think, basically, if you look at the list of guys the Giants have brought in, the only one who would qualify as an older veteran is Kyle Rudolph, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair. Everybody else is a young veteran, if I had to put an adjective on them. And if you're to believe the reported deals that have come out over the course of the last week or so, uh, Kenny Galladay got a lengthy... Uh, multi-year contract Adore Jackson reportedly got a three-year contract all of these other free agents the Giants have brought in were either on one or two-year deals which means if for whatever reason things don't work out they don't have to be in salary cap hell in three years because they will be able to have moved on from a bunch of these guys if it doesn't pan out the way they want it to
2: I also think your point about multi-year contracts for those two players that you mentioned also shows you that they're young enough that you could build with them moving forward more than just one year. No question. So I think that's another indication that just because they're coming from another team and they're considered a veteran by definition because they've been in the NFL for a few years doesn't mean you're thinking about, all right, bring them in, go all out this year, and then move on. No, those could be players that you also can – have in the mix for years to come depending on whether or not their performance meets the criteria and value, of course, of the contract. As far as the defense is concerned, there was another reported addition, and remember, this is according to multiple reports, it's all pending a physical, that the Giants are going to be adding somebody within the division, and that is former Washington linebacker Ryan Anderson, another member of the 2017 draft class. He was a second-round pick, not a first-round pick, and this is somebody that also, once again, was sidelined due to a knee injury last season, played nine games, missed the final seven when he was ultimately placed on injured reserve, and here's a veteran linebacker, that has experience playing on the outside, didn't necessarily have an overwhelming amount of playing time, mainly because he was playing behind a lot of other prominent talent in Washington. As we've previewed all those games over the course of the last few seasons, they're pretty strong and heavy up front. And here's somebody that now will add to what really is a mix at the linebacker position, Paul, because you've got some veteran presence, but you also have a lot of young guys. So once again, just like the secondary An opportunity for Patrick Graham to mix and match here.
1: Interesting that he comes in uh, as a former teammate of Reggie Ragland when they were basically the core of the Alabama defense in 2014 and 2015. Remember in 15, Alabama won the national championship for Nick Saban. And Anderson and Ragland were the two guys right in the middle of the heart of that unit. So they are teammates once again. Obviously, the Saban connection and the Bama connection, although Judge was already with the Patriots at that time, you have to connect those dots. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, the thing about Anderson, you know, it's really been a puzzle as to why he hasn't earned more snaps and become more productive in the NFL, because on tape when he was at Alabama, he was a wrecking machine. And projecting into the NFL – most people said he'll be an outside linebacker in a 3-4. He might be able to play weak side if you just have him rush the passer. He may be able to do that and excel. He also is very good at holding the edge and the point of attack as a strong side guy. Now, his athletic measurements don't come off the page. I think he runs in the four-sevens. So there's nothing about his combine or his pro day numbers that would have excited you. But he got drafted in the second round of that draft... Because of his game tape. He is a SOB, junkyard dog, blue-blooded, work-your-ass-off football player. That's what he is. He gets after you. He chews nails for breakfast, this guy. Wow,
2: that's some appetite.
1: And there was another thought on him when he came into the league that maybe, he's like 255, that maybe he would put on 15 pounds and maybe even become a defensive end or stay at the 250 range or so and wind up being an inside linebacker in a 3-4. So I wonder, and I don't know this, I'd love to talk to Anderson at some point, how he feels the Washington team utilized his skills, what were they trying to get out of him? Where did they want him to play? Where did they think his skill set fit? Was it just that he was blocked by other guys? He's a puzzle to me because he had such a high, widespread amount of good reviews coming out of Alabama, and for whatever reason, it did not work. Maybe he simply needs a change of scenery. And my final thought is that uh, Odenebo from the Vikings in some regard, is a similar kind of player who, you know, did not ever put up big, splashy, you know, headline kind of stats or or numbers when he was in Minnesota. But this is a guy now, outside linebacker, pass rusher, and maybe they're taking the shackles off of him and will let him kind of do what he does best. So I think the Giants have two guys here, and they're certainly hoping at least one of them hits. Well,
2: remember, Kyler Fackrell is a free agent, so they're going to need to replace someone who at least has some veteran experience in the event that Fackrell doesn't come back. And I think it is a fair parallel between both of those guys because I think the common theme is, Paul, they were both playing behind proven commodities. Remember, Odenabo was behind Everson Griffin, and he was behind... Daniel Hunter. Then mm-hmm. you look at Washington, you had Ryan Kerrigan and Preston Smith. And exactly. Ryan Anderson filled in here or there for Ryan Kerrigan, but he never was the main starter. The other thing that's important to know with Washington, he was in multiple defenses. Remember, Greg Minoski was the defensive coordinator when he came in. Then all of a sudden they moved to Jack Del Rio last season. So this is going to be now the third defensive scheme. Sometimes it takes a good fit or a better fit for a player to get comfortable and start to put up the numbers that you anticipated coming out of college. So this could be one of those change of environments, comfort level things that all of a sudden clicks. Time will tell. But remember, that once again is a reported signing pending a physical that is not official compared to some of the other players that we spoke about. Let's open up the phone lines at 973-667-1960. Lance Meadow, Paul Datino with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we're going over some of the latest free agent additions. We will start to preview the NFL draft a little bit later on in the program, focusing on Clemson. Let's check in with Marty in Manahawken. What's happening, Marty?
0: Hey, good afternoon, guys. How you doing?
2: We're doing very well. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, hanging in there. Uh, I was uh, telling John uh, on the way in uh, that – the way things are going if uh they don't get the top guy they want at the eleven pick then uh you know i wouldn't i wouldn't mind seeing him trade down and uh accumulating some more picks and and uh loading up with some more uh, talent on the team plus also uh getting some uh, viable backups i think uh at this point now uh, we we can start looking uh to put in more depth uh, more depth out there uh wonder what your thoughts are
2: well, I mean, if you love a guy at 11, you take the guy at 11, regardless of whether or not you've already addressed that position throughout free agency. They certainly, I think, have the flexibility where they don't need to go in one specific direction. I think that's a fair takeaway. But I don't really think free agency tremendously changes anything with the draft because you can never have enough at a given position. And even if you use the 11th overall pick, Marty, on a talented player who may be at a position where you feel pretty good about There's no guarantee that the guys in front of him are going to play all the games, so he probably is going to contribute anyway during the course of his rookie season. So, therefore, it does help your depth, and it adds more value, which is what you're referring to. And I think that was a big emphasis for the Giants this offseason. I think they realized, hey, we lost a lot of guys last season during the course of the 2020 season, whether it be Barkley, whether it be Carter, Zimenez, and you called on guys from the practice squad or maybe younger players who you didn't anticipate giving them as much playing time as a result of not having a lot of veterans out there. So I think they look to address that based on some of the moves that they've made thus far.
1: Marty, the only thing that I would say here, and I mentioned it the other day when I was talking to John and Lance when they did the uh, Kenny Galladay special BBKA show on Saturday night, and that is this, the, the value-slash-need component comes into play uh, in every round obviously or at least the first two days of the draft it's a little bit less as you get later on in the draft but right now if you've got that three or four or five players in the cluster with virtually the same grade obviously the need plays a bit more of a role in that draft choice well right now the Giants have plugged so many of their primary needs that In reality, you can tip that scale more towards value and kind of I don't want to say ignore need, but it becomes less of an issue when you're weighing those two factors, trying to combine them to find the perfect pick. So I really think that this much more opens the the door and opens the curtain, you will, to be able to freely pick without any hesitation. The guy who's the best value. I'm with Lance. If Kyle Pitts is there at 11, you take Kyle Pitts at 11. I don't care if Rudolph is here or not. I take Kyle Pitts at 11 if he falls, you know. But but I'll give you a great example, and the best one that I can give you right now, and I think a lot of people probably feel this way. I'm not sure that was Sean Slater out of Northwestern, the tackle who many people project as a sensational guard in this league. I think it's realistic to think he'll be there at 11. I'm not so sure that he would have been one of my top two or three or four selections at 11 prior to free agency. But right now, uh, you know what? Well, Sean Slater suddenly becomes a much more viable selection for me, thinking that he could be a plug-and-play starter at right guard.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Paul. The thing is, um, you know, a lot of these uh, mocks I've seen, uh, he may not even be there for the Giants. they even some are even showing him being taken by, you know, our favorite team, the Cowboys, right ahead of the Giants. So, that's you know, pretty that close, though. Nice... So, he
1: if he falls in the neighborhood, or at least you think he will fall in the neighborhood, you have to start considering him.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would. I, you know, I, I think an offensive lineman definitely uh, would be a good way to go, and, and you know, start building up the depth on that line or like these other teams that you know they compete every year for uh, the champion you know for uh playoffs and uh, you know their, their line basically just about stays intact from year to year so you know i'd like to see us get into that type of scenario from here on out
2: and by the well, way guys, you do that note, through, through, more through the drafted the free agency i mean that that's how you build up the depth that's why and appreciate the phone call marty I think, once again, it goes back to the philosophy of don't get so caught up in the position and what the Giants addressed in free agency and go based on who is the best possible player that can have an impact year one on the roster. And if that's a wide receiver, then you take a wide receiver. If it's a tight end, you take a tight end. If you figure an offensive lineman who could compete for a starting job or serve as a backup, then you take the offensive lineman. I think every team, ideally, Paul, what they always want to do going into the draft is... Just lining it up with the board, going with the best possible value and bringing in that talent and developing them. And also, maybe not putting that rookie in a rush, urgent matter where you have to get them on the field week one and they have to deliver for you. You know, I think that's another luxury that every team wishes they had. Not to say that, you know, we know exactly how things are going to play out with the competition and training camp for the Giants, but you could also make the argument, assuming all of these free agents stay healthy. They could very well take a guy with the 11th overall pick and not necessarily have to crown him as the savior entering week one of this season.
3: And, Paul, just a note, by the way, Caleb Farley, Adam Schefter reported yesterday, is going to undergo back surgery. Correct. Another top 10 pick. And I believe that's his second back surgery. I think he had one after the 2019 season, if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, that could shake things up a little bit in terms of the top cornerback in the class.
1: Oh, I don't think there's any doubt that Sertain is the top guy. I felt that way all along. And now after this comes out, <laughs> I mean, it would be very, very hard for some teams to rate Farley that high because that, that injury portfolio is going to knock him down at least a half a round, I would think.
2: It also could maybe change the perspective of some of the teams ahead of the Giants, too. If they had an eye on a corner, maybe they go elsewhere and they don't address that position. A lot of time still to play out, by the way, between now and the draft. I know we're closing in about a month, but a lot changes over the course of a month. And I would not get so tied to mock drafts, by the way, because we look at these mock drafts every single year, and I would love to know people going back and looking at five to six mock drafts and seeing how accurate they actually played out. So, you know, don't stress yourself out when it comes to who's going where. A lot of curveballs can easily be thrown between now and the start of the draft. The good news for the Giants is, once again, they can go in a variety of different directions. And I think that's what every team wishes for, to not have to rely on, hey, we need a big offensive playmaker or we need a corner or we need a pass rusher. And if we don't go down that route, route, we're going to have to wait for somebody to hopefully be available who's a veteran free agent. So you know, that's the other thing I think that at least puts the Giants in a promising situation. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines, and we check in with Peter in the Florida Keys. What's happening, Peter?
3: What's up, guys? How
2: you doing today? Hi. Hi. What's on your mind?
3: Awesome. Hey, so uh, it's it's a great time to be a New York Giants fan. I haven't felt this excited in a very, very long time. And the last time I actually felt like this was 2016, when we made that huge supply action free agency. And all of us know kind of what happened then. My question
1: for you guys, and I'll take it off the air,
3: how would you compare this year's free agency to the 2016 free agency? Compare it to and kind of how is this a little bit different? Because I know a lot of people are like, wow, we made a splash, but who's to say that we're not going to have the same exact results as last time? And I'll take it off the air to guys. Thank you.
2: All right, Peter. Appreciate the phone call. I've heard a lot of people bring up, not necessarily 2016, but On social media, I had a comment about, you know, when a team is ultra aggressive in free agency, that it doesn't always translate to wins and losses. And I agree with that. But I guess I don't look at this as a major splash that the Giants are making, Paul. And if you have a different perspective, that's fine. What I mean by that is outside of Kenny Galladay, there are volume of players that were brought in. But I think a lot of them have some question marks in terms of durability, injury, history. So I don't really look at this as a star-studded group which has Pro Bowl notoriety or proven commodities consistently for three to four years. I think the 2016 class... Damon Snacks-Harrison was a mainstay of the Jets' defensive front. Olivier Vernon had been a mainstay with the Miami Dolphins. And Janoris Jenkins, once again, had been a key consistent starter with the Rams, whereas some of these other guys that the Giants have brought in, I think, have maybe a few more question marks compared to that group in terms of what they've proven and put on the field year in and year out. Well,
3: very quickly, Lance, I think if you include Leonard Williams in the mix, I think that Kind of make. Then you have the corner, the defensive lineman, and the receiver, and those are kind of the three big splash ones that I think Pete was referring to.
2: Well, once again, I mean that's. I don't look at Leonard Williams though as part of really this free agent class. That that's an internal guy that you resigned. Uh, if I'm going to talk about free agency making big splash, it's going to be what you brought in from the outside. Leonard Williams to me is a player that was already embedded in the system. You saw value in him, and you chose to invest in him. So to me, that's different than bringing in Olivier Vernon, Snacks, and Janoris Jenkins were all outside guys. None of them were previously within the organization. So, I mean, to me, that's a big difference.
1: Yeah, a couple of points here. First of all, Lance, I agree with you 150%. It's a lot different when you're bringing a guy in from the outside as opposed to a guy who has already lived in your locker room. So I, I totally concur with you there. Number two, I think the way you quantify a free agent is not by necessarily the resume or the injury history that you're talking about, Lance. You quantify them really by how the NFL does. And I think when they look at their compensation formula with free agents entering entering, and exiting, they will look at Galladay as a grade one free agent. They'll probably look at Jackson as a grade one free agent. So I do think both of those guys are big splashes. Um, I also think that when you see this and you say, okay, that's one guy on offense, that's one guy on defense. Uh, Back in 16, their defense was in such disarray, they had to go for three big splashes all on the same side of the ball. Uh, That makes this a little bit different. And then I think the other factor, John and I actually uh, were messaging each other about this earlier today, or maybe it was last night, and that is... I have 25 times more faith in this coaching staff than the coaching staff that was in place at that particular time. And these guys will know how to handle this team. And, and furthermore, uh, next year, uh, they will know how to handle this team. No matter what happens in 2021, they will know how to handle 2022. We will not see the up-and-down earthquake-type seismograph of success and disappointment that we saw from the 2000, 2016, 2017 Giants. I, I I trust this coaching staff will handle this roster in a much better fashion.
2: Well, on a related note, keep in mind, 16 was Ben McAdoo's first season as a head coach. Okay, so Joe Judge already went through that. Mm-hmm. This is now year two. So- no doubt. He had a little bit more experience, what it means to command the team. So that's a big difference in terms of your point about handling the staff. Whereas then 17 was McAdoo's second year, but he had so much success his first year, he didn't necessarily get a taste of well what it's like when you have to go through the struggles. Whereas Judge, it's been a little bit smoother with him because it was an instantaneous success right away. So I do think that that's fair with respect to the differences between 16 as well as currently. Let's head back to the phone lines. Ed is in Florida. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Ed?
4: Hey, Lance, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call.
2: Well, thanks for making it. Appreciate it. So what do you got for us?
4: Okay. I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm concerned, not concerned. I think I take that back. I'm excited about this new receiver that we have, the free agent. Uh, what's his name? John Ross, the guy who has like four 4.2 speed. And yeah. I was wondering how how he's going to fit in using him all the time. With the, well, we say with Shepard, they're they're both slot receivers, I would think. And I was just wondering, uh, are we going to use them uh, together? or Are we going to use them uh, separately? That's that's just, that's just, that's all I was worried about. I, I'm really happy about the free agents that we uh, picked up, and uh, I think this guy Russ is going to be a big, big, big find for us.
2: Well, it's a low risk, high reward maneuver. I mean, that's what it really comes down to because, as you mentioned, he hasn't been able to stay on the field. I think we first need to see how he does at training camp, how he competes, You know where they view him in terms of the depth chart. He's also a guy that can contribute on special teams, Ed. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of – talking about where exactly he'll line up if he and Sterling Shepard are on the field at the same time. It's also about depth and substance because, once again, if somebody gets hurt, you want to know that maybe you could turn to a guy like John Ross. Remember, Cincinnati's view of John Ross was very different than I think the Giants, Paul. I think the Giants are looking at John Ross as hey, here's an extra guy to compete, an extra guy that has a high resume, meaning where he was drafted, high hopes, good skill set, but we're not looking at him to necessarily come in and make up for everything else. Considering Galladay, Shepard, and Slater are in the mix, Cincinnati was more of the urgency. Hey, we drafted him this high. We want him to get on the field. We want him to be a playmaker. So I think the mindset's a little bit different, Ed, compared to how the Bengals viewed him versus perhaps what the Giants are thinking. And
1: add one more thing, Lance. You can't teach speed. And that sure. is one thing the Giants certainly wanted to add to the room.
2: You'll always welcome that into the mix. I'd appreciate the phone call, Ed. But I do think, once again, the Giants are not maybe placing the same expectations on John Ross that perhaps Cincinnati was looking at immediately no. when he came into the mix. Loss so I do think... Ross a 4
1: think, or a 5 for the Giants, and the Bengals were probably looking yeah. at him to be a 1 or a 2, and certainly no lower than a 3. And sometimes that
2: goes back to environment, change, outlook. When you combine all of those factors, it does make a difference. Sometimes that's what a player needed. Hey, let me take a step back. Let me be more comfortable within the system that I am now. I know the high hopes, the high expectations are not there. I can just play my game. And that's what I think they're expecting out of John Ross. All right, so that's what is happening in terms of free agency for the New York Giants. We'll get back more into those storylines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But right now, we want to turn our attention to the 2021 NFL Draft. And today, we're going to focus on the Clemson prospects. And to get more into that, we are now joined by a man who covers the Clemson football team for the Post and Courier, none other than then Josh Needleman. Josh, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end?
4: Things are great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it.
2: Well, happy to have you aboard. Let's start from a big-picture perspective, Josh. They just had their pro day the other week, and this class, I wouldn't say, is as deep in terms of volume, perhaps, as we've seen with previous Clemson classes, but what it all jumped out to you about what was shown at the pro day that maybe shed a little bit more light on one or two of these prospects that we had not necessarily seen based on the film over the last few seasons.
4: Yeah, well, uh, first of all, Travis Etienne, Clemson's running back, uh, was huge. <laughs> he uh, his official weight during the season was 199 pounds. He weighed in at 215 uh, for Clemson's pro day and it was all muscle. Um, as we saw, he still has his speed. He ran a 441 and a 443 in the 40. Um so he's he's retained his speed and he's a lot bigger um and he was already a power back um so he he's really kind of rounding into form that was, that was kind of the biggest thing um that really stuck out to me from pro Day.
1: what What do you think teams are looking at him with in terms of do you think they're looking at him more to be that speed guy, that outside guy, maybe a third down back? or do you think now, with this extra weight, is he trying to say to them, You know what? I can be more than that. I can be an every-down guy who can also take it between the tackles.
4: Yes. He, he would say that. He, he would also say that he's, um, you know, and he has. He's improved as a pass catcher. Um, he's improved as a blocker, too. I mean, he really um, – there was a lot of surprise when he came back for his senior season. Um, he said he wanted to come back turn his education, of course, but um, on the field he wanted to work as a pass catcher, and we saw that. Um, Clemson's offensive line was kind of – kind Of a little bit below par this season, um, so Travis really excelled as a pass catcher. So I think he's he's telling the teams, he's like, Look, I can I can mean every down back, um, I can run between the tackles, I can block for you, and I, I can also, you know, make some noise catch, catching balls out at the backfield. He had uh made 48 catches last year, or you know, almost 600 yards and a couple of touchdowns, so he's kind of a do it all guy,
2: yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the reception total because it's quite interesting to see the evolution of. Of him, Josh, as a pass catcher, because we're talking about a guy that had five receptions his first year, then it went to 12 to 37 to 48. So little by little, they seem to get him more and more involved as a receiver out of the backfield. Now you mentioned the offensive line had a rough go this past season. Is the 48 receptions, do you think a product of the offensive line struggles and the offense needing to adjust or Clemson's offensive mindset, meaning, hey, we got to find other ways to get this guy the football?
4: Yeah, I, I think it was the latter.
0: Uh, I mean, if you
4: look at his his rushing stats, he only averaged five point four yards a carry um, this past year, and that's obviously way down from, you know, his his junior year he was seven point eight yards a carry, eight point one, um, his his sophomore year averaged seven point two for his career. So I think it was you know we we need to find a way to get him involved otherwise, and, and, and you know, and also by then you know, uh, opposing defenses knew knew who Travis Etienne was, so that, you know they were loaded in the box and. Had to find another way to be beat defense, and and he clearly did. I mean, he was he was, you know, especially on a year when Clemson's you know top four wide receivers were, were out for most of the season because of injuries. Um, he was he was kind of um, one of their main options. He he really shown, Actually, it's interesting. Um, the the two games that, that Trevor Lawrence missed, um, DJ Ungalet had to had to play quarterback uh, for Trevor because Trevor had COVID. And that that first week, um, Travis had seven catches for 140 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so yeah, really, really kind of a do it all guy. Uh, I think coming back for a senior really, really helps us stock a lot.
1: Josh, I don't think I want to waste your time to give us a scouting report on Trevor Lawrence. We all know <laughs> everything about what he can do, but from being around the Tigers program, is there anybody there who would be shocked or should I say not shocked is probably the more accurate statement uh, if he winds up not being the number one pick, oh, <laughs> I mean honestly, that would, be
4: weird. that would be strange. That would be strange. Um, you know, just especially with that. You know, he, he had his own personal pro day back in February, and that was just on a couple days' notice. Um, and that was actually at, at the urging of Urban Meyer. They had been on a Zoom, and Trevor needed surgery in his non-throwing shoulder. Um, so you know, Clemson's pro day was 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 mid March. Uh, Trevor would have just been recovering from surgery right now if he waited until mid March, so they bumped it up till February. And Urban Meyer really kind of <laughs> kind of asserted himself there. I mean, he was, I mean, if you look go back to the photo and the videos from Trevor Lawrence's pro day, you had Urban Meyer was standing front and center right next to Dabo <laughs> queen. It was kind of a it was kind of a power move. Yeah, he was like, no, this is my guy. Don't even think about it. He's coming to Jacksonville.
2: We're talking with Josh Needleman who covers the Clemson Tigers for the Post and Courier as they just recently had their pro day since as Paul mentioned, there's really no point in delving deep into Trevor Lawrence since I think you have to be living under a rock if you don't realize his upside as a quarterback and it's highly unlikely that the Giants are even going to have the ability to even have a pipe dream. I want to go more towards the guys that are protecting Trevor Lawrence and you hit on the offensive line and some of the ups and downs and they do have their left tackle who's throwing his name into the NFL draft in Jackson Carmen, somebody that started all 12 games at left tackle this past season. Really the last two seasons he seems to have been Staple there. What have you seen out of him in terms of his consistency in run blocking versus pass protection?
4: That's an interesting question. Um, He, it's kind of tough with the offensive line because so much of it is based on on chemistry and, you know, is a guy next to you uh, making his reads and whatnot. Um, Jackson was was a little bit uh, up and down this past year for sure. I mean, I think he would say he's probably a little more productive. Um, his first year, uh, his first year as a starter, I mean, he was a sophomore, but you know what? He's 6'6", 328. Uh, you can't teach that. Um, so I, I think, I think Jack's the, the heck of a, heck of a prospect for this draft.
1: The one comment that I saw coming out of the pro day, Josh, was that, uh, he does have rather short arms and we know that guys in the NFL, uh, get very queasy about drafting a tackle with short arms. Do you sense that there is any possibility that people are looking at him potentially as a guard to move him inside?
4: They could be. They they could be for sure. I mean, you know, Clemson does kind of cross train all their all their offensive linemen. Um, even just talking to Dabo yesterday um, for this coming season, he said no player as a home yet. Everyone's kind of learning all, all positions. Um, so I, I just see that. Um, you know, and and if and if he were to make that move, I mean, he, he's had experience there. Obviously, not as much as you know, as his preferred position, but um, I think he'd probably be well-suited to, to handle that.
2: Probably the most intriguing position out of this Clemson draft class, obviously in addition to Travis Etienne, who you were talking, with, talking about earlier, is the two wide receivers because it was really an impressive campaign for both of them in terms of what Amari Rodgers did as well as what Cornell Powell did. I want to start with Amari Rodgers first because... He did a really good job at the Senior Bowl, but if I read this correctly, Josh, they put him through running back drills at the <laughs> Pro Day. How did he look when they moved him through some of those running back drills, and what do you see his perhaps fit at the NFL level?
4: Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, that was a surprise to Omari, too. He, he, didn't, he didn't see that coming. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, he, he was Clemson's slot guy um, this year. Uh, but again, you know, a, a, a little bit of a shorter guy, five foot ten. Um, it's something that could work. I mean, he, he's got a, actually a very similar body type to Travis Etienne. Uh Really bulky, really strong. Um, obviously, really quick. It, it, it could work. He looked good. Uh, you know, he, 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 uh, Amari also returned punts this year. Um, so he and, and kickoff. So he, he has experience doing other things. He has experience moving through traffic. Um, But that definitely caught him off guard for sure. But you know what? Amari Rodgers' father is a football coach. Um, T Martin, he's with the Ravens now. He was in college for a number of years. I I think Amari's a smart player. Um, I don't think the transition, you know, if that were to happen full time, I don't think that would necessarily be too much of a culture shock for him because I got the impression he, he he could play every position. He might be even, you know, able to coach every position. That's just how knowledgeable he is.
1: Powell is an interesting prospect for me, Josh, because you know he's not the tallest guy in the box, uh, certainly not the fastest guy in the box, but his production is really good. He's got tremendous athleticism. I, I, I use the word a lot of times about a guy who is so pliable and athletic that he's like Gumby. He is a Gumby <clears throat> kind of player for me, and, and I could see somebody having a twinkle in their eye for him and thinking they may get him as a later-round steal.
4: Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I mean, Cordell Powell was a four star guy. I mean, he he actually was w- uh, ha- w- was in that mix to start his freshman year back in 2016, uh, but he got hurt. And at Clemson, when you get hurt, there's four or five more guys who are as talented or more talented than you, and they're going to take your spot. And then that's kind of what happened. 2017, 2018, 2019 is kind of this this bit player. And then you know, like like you said, I mean, really really excelled that senior year. Um, I'd love to have him on my team. He's, he's a gamer. Um, he, he had a great. He also was really helpful um, with DJ lay when Trevor went down. You know, DJ kind of went back to Cornell again and again. That Notre Dame game and a Boston College game. Uh, you know, not the tallest wide receiver, six six foot tall. Uh, maybe not the most explosive, but he runs really good routes. He's got great hands. He's consistent. Um, I think he'd be a really good late round pick for sure.
2: Yeah, he jumped to 53 receptions this past season right. after having 15 in 2019, which goes back to what you said. He was just stuck behind so much talent over the last yeah. few years that he finally gets playing time, and he transferred that to productivity. The other thing that I think jumps out, Josh, is the seven touchdowns. You mentioned you know, he's not the most explosive, but he's got good hands. What stood out to you about how they targeted him specifically in scoring opportunities and how that may transfer over to the NFL level?
4: Well, he was kind of the guy. I mean, you know, usually Clemson likes to, you know, in 2019, they'd throw it up to uh, T. Higgins and Justin Ross, a pair of guys, six, six foot three, six foot four. Um, with Cornell, it was more kind of slant, it was more kind of in, inside looks. It wasn't necessarily putting it up and letting him jump for it. Um, it was kind of, you know, relying on his route running and getting him the ball in a place where he, where he could catch it. Because he was going to catch it, right? It was, it was a matter of just him getting him in, the, in those right spots.
1: Is there anybody else who we haven't touched on who you think could be a dark horse that would uh, potentially catch the eye of some NFL folks?
4: Hmm. let's see I, you know I, I think we hit the main ones um, you know uh, j c. chalk is eligible at tight end I, I don't know that he's necessarily going to catch a ton of eyes. Um, Clemson did work out a couple a couple of a couple of skill position players who hadn't um, haven't gone the NFL yet who were uh, DeAndre Overton graduate in 2019 uh, you know he, he, the thing about Overton is you know he really could have been Powell he could have been Cornell Powell um, I mean he was kind of a really talented guy four star guy who kind of um, didn't really get that, that opportunity to shine Cornell got it you know his retro senior year Overton never really got it but he's still in great shape he looked good at Pro Day too um, and he's a skyscraper, to too.
1: <laughs> so, right.
4: Yeah.
1: right. The, I know, right. Josh, you don't get to listen to this program very often, but I love skyscrapers.
4: He, he's a skyscraper for sure. Um, and, and, you know, he, Dabble always, always credited him because he probably could have gone somewhere and gotten a lot more playing time, but he wanted to stick with that program and, you know, do things the right way. And it, it'd be nice to see him on, on, a, on a roster. I didn't contribute.
2: Josh, last one for me, more of a big picture, because as you mentioned, we went over pretty much in detail each of the prospects. The Giants are in a position where maybe they have the luxury to not necessarily go after a major need, but add some depth to what they've already done in free agency. Travis Etienne, Amari Rogers, Cornell Powell. If I were to ask you, of those three, who do you think will have the biggest impact on the NFL level? Who has the most upside? What would your response be?
4: I think it's Travis Etienne. Um, you, you, you do worry about running backs, obviously, and, and their longevity. Um, and, and you know, and Travis did do four years at Clemson. He could He could have. He could have. He could have left after his junior year, gotten drafted probably the early second round last year, made a lot of money, been really successful. Um, so the longevity thing is, is an issue. But in terms of um, pure talent, in terms of a guy who could really help you win his, his, his rookie year, I, I think. Travis D. Chan and Saquon Barkley would be a, would be a really fun <laughs> deal. Oh my god. That would be amazing. Uh, but that to me, he, he's the most fun player. He's the guy I'm most looking forward to see. Very cool
2: You're going to have stuff. Giants fans foaming at the mouth after that comment there, Josh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you.
2: Good stuff. He is Josh Needleman, who covers the Clemson football team for the Post and Courier. Josh, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Stay safe and healthy and look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks again. Thanks, Josh. Absolutely.
4: Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it.
2: You got it. Josh Needleman weighing in on the Clemson football class. And as I mentioned, this is not a year where there's a high volume of prospects, as Josh indicated, but the top notch guys have an opportunity to come in and make a significant impact. I would say, once again, to me, Paul, the more and more I look at this class, I think ETN is very attractive as a versatile player. But Amari Rodgers and Cornell Powell just continue to come back. Every time you look at the film, you look at the highlights because I just feel they can bring a lot to the table. And I also expect both of them to make a fairly smooth transition as some of the previous Clemson wide receivers have done in recent history.
1: Well, it's interesting that you decided to focus on those guys because I look at Jackson Carmen and I say to myself, you know what? I could see him maybe being a second-round pick for somebody, especially if they believe that he's going to slide inside to guard. He's a mountain of a man, gets to the second level, so he's got some pretty good feet and he's able to get out there and take on linebackers. And, you know, when he does anchor well, now he's a bit inconsistent, but when he does anchor well and he's got his game going... You can't move him, Lance. You just can't. I, I, I think he's very intriguing for me when you get after the first day's worth of picks.
2: Well, if you're going to protect Trevor Lawrence, you better be reliable in that regard especially given the value of that quarterback. So I I wouldn't disagree with you there. I I could see, though, perhaps, you know, somebody taking a chance on him in the second round. I don't know necessarily if anybody would view him as a plug-and-play type of player. You know, maybe somebody that adds depth, and then in the event of an injury, you put him in there. Uh, That, I think, would be interesting to see how each and every NFL team views him. But once again, when you start as many games as he's done, which he's consistently done over the last two seasons, and you're playing for a prominent program and you're tested, within the ACC, you know, that I think helps bring up the profile of the player. The reason why I was focusing on the wide receivers is – the trend of the NFL right now is to find these guys who, you know, you can move around, who you can be creative with, who you can line up in the backfield, who you can line up in the slot, who you can mm-hmm. find ways to get the ball out into open space. And Amari Rogers, once again, I think is the latest guy that fits that profile. Very similar, he reminds me of Curtis Samuel, who was with Carolina, just signed with Washington, where you know, because of his skill set, you can not necessarily classify him as one specific role where you can really tap into the multifacets of his game. That's why I think somebody like that, some team is going to say, hey, within our offense, we think he could do A, B, C, and D, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to pull the trigger immediately on him.
1: I would agree with that. Oh, I, 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 I am sure that someone is going to be very happy to bring them into their locker room.
3: Would you guys like an update on the Alabama Pro Day? What do you got, John? Okay, so from what I could tell, and I'm having on the background as I'm doing the show here, but it doesn't look like Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell are really doing anything. Um, Devontae Smith, if I missed it, said he's weighing in at around 170 right now, but I don't think we have official numbers on that. Uh, the big one is Patrick Sertan, who, Paul, you will love this. Um, he ran between, depending on the scout, apparently, ran somewhere between a 4.42 and a 4.46, mm. which is more than good enough.
1: Yes, now, it is.
3: His question has more been in terms of like side to side, right, and things like how he can change direction. But if Sertan's running a four four two four 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 six, and Caleb Farley has a back injury, I think he pretty much just completely shored up his position as the number one cornerback in the class, and just in terms of his measurements, Paul, you'll like this even more: six two two zero eight. 32 and a half inch arm so that's they gave him six two yep six two flat
1: i had never seen a 6'2 listing on sartan me neither never i thought it was impressive oh my goodness well you know what you can't teach height either can you john don't tell that to lance
3: that, that's <laughs> i'm not offended <laughs> by that i mean you, I, and that height, was not at that at as a, a shot day, to you, you. It was I I not
2: meant it that a way. Shot. It, okay. It's just height at the end of the day it doesn't really equate to talent overall. Now, so you no, be but, able to be do something uh, with it. You know boy, what? I, my I, I can make
3: Lance feel better, though. Lance, do you want to feel better?
2: If I need to. I didn't know I needed <laughs> to feel better, but sure, I'm all ears. Okay, yes. so I'm,
3: I'm, I'm going to get Lance to feel better here. I'm looking yes. for the exact numbers. But over at the Purdue Pro Day today, Rondell Moore measured in at a stark 5'7 flat. <laughs> But ran apparently around a four three forty yard dash. So that's one
2: for Meadow. There you go. See? There's room for a wide variety of heights in the National Football League, <laughs> as we've seen over the course of NFL history. So Oh man. I'm so happy that we were able to squeeze in the wide spectrum of measurements here at various pro days. It is interesting though, in all seriousness, to see Sertan listed at six two because the various websites that you check out have a variety of heights, but I have not seen anything either in the well, ballpark of six foot two.
3: Yeah, and schools Lance. usually overrate the height. Yes, right? that's the thing.
1: Yeah. Yes, we've all been around long enough to know that colleges will usually bump up the weight and the height just a tad because they always want to give a better perception of their players. And for him to never have been listed at six anywhere that I've seen, and then check in at six two. Holy smokes. And by the way,
3: I should throw a couple other things out there, a couple other measurements on him. This is from uh, Marcus Mosher, who um, does some stuff um, with uh, the uh, Lockdown Podcast Network. Apparently, his uh, vertical leap was 39 inches, which is in the 84th percentile, Mm -hmm. and his broad jump was 131 inches, which is in the 93rd percentile. So he checked many, many boxes today. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the tape is really good, too, John. Yeah, I was (laughs) going to say.
2: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. i lean more towards on the tape, but it's always nice to hear that perhaps the measurements fit to the bill. I'm not surprised, by the way, that Devontae Smith and Waddle are not doing much of anything because when they were previewing and anticipating who was going to take part, they had said that Waddell and Najee Harris they did not expect to take part in many of the drills for Alabama's Pro Day because there were only nine guys that they had anticipated were going to take part in the Pro Day today. And there's about, I want to say, 13, 14 players overall that are eligible to be drafted within Alabama's program, which is right. not necessarily a surprise considering mm-hmm. that volume seems to be mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> in the same ballpark every single year. Yeah, you but, know uh, what's interesting, Lance? When uh, Devontae Smith had his press conference yesterday, which was going into the Pro Day, all he did was the measurements, as you just alluded to, And as he was answering the questions from the media and somebody got to the weight thing and at first he didn't want to answer, he avoided the question. And then the follow-up was, well, okay, so what was the number? And he very quietly said, Oh, 170. And, you know, I think he understood that for a lot of people that 170 number was going to be quite a deflation on the balloon. And, you know, look, I, I, I didn't need that to ver- ver- validate or verify uh, my trepidation about making him the fourth of the offensive skill impact players who are supposed to go in the top ten. He's always been number four for me out of those guys and continues to be. And I'm, I'm still not even sure that I would take him if I were the Giants at 11. I would I would really hope for their sake that they have some other players at other positions who have graded out equally as high – so that they could go in a different direction because I do worry about the durability. I think that's going to be a legit concern no matter who you talk to. Whether or not you want to overlook it, you can. That's a matter of opinion and a matter of preference. But you can't tell me that it's not a legit concern. And, Paul, speaking of weight, by the way,
3: just another big guy. I know you watched at the Senior Bowl, Deontay Brown, the big guard Mm -hmm. out of Alabama. Apparently he's dropped 20 pounds since the Senior Bowl. Mm. And we saw him in, in Mobile and he did not move very well, but he was about the size of a condominium. So apparently he, he has dropped down to around 340, I think, is the number that I saw, which can tell you where he was at when he played in Mobile.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, look, there's no question his lack of mobility was going to be an issue. I mean, one of the th- when, I, when I looked at him, I said to myself, let's see, I wrote down uh, recovery issues, Lack of energy, probably because he was overweight. John, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? And uh, also Could trouble with factor. Yeah, trouble with balance issues as well. I saw, and and again with a gentleman that rotund, balance <laughs> issues will be a problem.
3: <laughs> rotund, I like it. Well, and by the way, Lance, Jeff, and I will have um, coverage of what everything that happened at the Alabama Alabama Pro Day on tomorrow's Big Blue Kickoff live. So make sure you guys tune into that. Or there it'll you go. Be-
2: you and me instead of Jeff and you.
3: No, I said me, you and Jeff. Jeff is joining us because he was not on Friday's show
2: live. I didn't realize I that. Canceled. Well, that wasn't according to the schedule, so that's new. I'm learning new <laughs> things on this very program. Audible! And, <laughs> we're, we're getting surprises thrown our way over the course of the program. Well, I mean, Lance, yeah.
3: if you really don't want to work with Jeff, I can easily No, even I have no problem working with
2: Jeff, but when you said <laughs> that initially, he wasn't on the schedule, so I thought you had slipped up by <laughs> throwing him in there. Oh. That's why it was I news really to me. It
3: right, believe it or not. Well,
2: okay. Well, there you go. The show evolves over The course of the program that we learned. The point about Devontae Smith that you were bringing up, Paul, it's funny because I was having a conversation earlier today and Deshaun Jackson's name came up because Deshaun Jackson's a buck 75. Now, Deshaun Jackson is a few inches shorter than Devontae Smith. So, you know, that's important to take note of. But Deshaun Jackson, I, I know the last few years have not been great, durability wise, but keep in mind, we are talking about a guy that's now 10 years into his NFL career. But for the most part, you look at his first six, seven seasons in the NFL. Deshaun Jackson stayed on the field for anywhere from 14 to 16 games. If you're just looking for somebody with that type of a figure, that may be a question mark.
1: Okay, I just called up for the sake of argument, and I don't wish to argue or debate with you on this, Lance. I called up Deshaun Jackson's injury history list, and it is more than one computer screen long. dating over the last few years. dating, Dating back to 2005 when he had a shoulder AC joint sprain, missed only one game in his freshman season when he was in college. Then had a leg thigh bruise in 20 in 2007. Then he gets to the NFL and he's got a, gro- a groin, okay, a groin problem. Then he's got a concussion. This is all in 2009. I'm not going to go through the entire list, but it is literally over a screen long the amount of injuries that he's had. Now I understand You're going to talk about the games he missed and say, well, relatively speaking, maybe he's missed only a few amount of games, so he's been able to gut it out and maybe play hurt. But see, when I'm looking for maximum efficiency, especially out of a speed burner with quicks, I need him to practice as much as possible, and I need him to be at as high a percentage of health as possible on a consistent basis because him going out there hurt and playing at a subpar level is probably going to hurt my team more than it's going to help.
2: Yeah, I mean, you love the fact that a guy can play banged up. There's no doubt about it. You, you just do. don't want it to be a regular thing. I don't disagree with you there. But once again, I mean, Devontae Smith has played double-digit games in three of the last seasons for Alabama. So, right. you know, that indicates to me that on the highest level of college football, which is the SEC, he's sure. held his own.
3: Sure. Now, they, does that they mean that bigger, he's going to have a 10
1: NFL career? No, but... He's at least held his own. Bigger, faster, and stronger in the NFL. And trust me, those Mack trucks impact you a little bit more in the pro level.
2: No, absolutely. I'd also be curious, and I'll look into this more closely when it comes to Deshaun Jackson's injury. See, with a guy like Devontae Smith, I'd be concerned about broken bones those types of things, because that to me is more concerning as opposed to a pulled groin or a hamstring, which maybe can be contributed to other things other than getting hit. But uh, once again, I can
1: understand the question marks connected to Devontae Smith. Yeah. I I, I add this. When and I add it. this, if he's there and he's an explosive player and they really feel great about his ability to add things to the offense and they take him, more power to him, and I hope he stays healthy. The only thing I say is that I cross my fingers that he does because I don't think any of us doubt that he's an impact player and and could be a very explosive, you know, NFL wide receiver. I, I, you know, it's, it's simply a matter of how much risk do you want to take. Before we wrap, just a reminder,
2: limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to the ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more info. You can also... Get your experience of a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available. You can place a deposit for individual games. You can call that same number or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So that's going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is part of the Giants Podcast Network. It's brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Detino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay tuned for Giants.com as we'll have Big Blue kickoff live Wednesday's edition at noon Eastern tomorrow. Enjoy. We're out. Have a good one.